This is episode 219 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Three Layers of 72-Hour Preparedness, How to Make Your Own Apple Cider Vinegar from Apple Peels and Cores, and Examining Economic Collapse. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you're receiving value from the podcast, we do appreciate your kind reviews. Hey, I'd like to wish you a happy 2018. You know, before the podcast started, I was I was trying to think of some new uh, some new yearish things to say, and I just like I, I got nothing. So <laughs> I'm just gonna wish you a happy new year. I hope you had a merry Christmas, a happy new year, and I uh, hope you're looking forward to what 2018 has to offer. I know I am. I received a lot of email and just uh, good wishes throughout uh, the break that that I took for the from the podcast. And uh, very, very appreciative of that. Before I get started into the articles for this podcast, I uh, just want to give you two pieces of information. Uh, I did release the weekly Watchmen and current events on Ed That Matters, and that is just uh, a compilation of videos of different Bible teachers and people that uh, are in the uh, prophetic a realm, I guess, and they put their videos on YouTube, and uh, a lot of people that I that I follow, some people that I listen to, and and I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I think it's important because they talk about current events a lot of the times from from a perspective that you're not getting, or in fact. Sometimes some of the things that they're talking about you don't even see anywhere on uh, the mainstream media. Sometimes you don't even see it on alternative news sites. But uh, they will talk about it, and then they will also talk about the biblical aspect of it. So hopefully if that is something that you are interested in, which uh, I definitely hope you are, because things are getting crazier and crazier uh, every single day. And then the, the whole aspect of uh, the prophetic seems to be ramping up and that's what you that's what you hear things going on i talked a little bit about that right before or on the last podcast uh episode 218 yeah 218 and so uh, just with the united nations in jerusalem and the embassies and all that kind of stuff and so I think it's something that, uh, you know, when we say stay prepped and aware, I think that's something, especially for those of us who are Christians out there, that we should definitely stay prepped and aware out there. And I also like to remind you that on, uh, I'm trying to do it on Thursday nights, uh, Central Time, around 7, well, no, probably more like 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, I am doing a Facebook Live where I go over the uh, an article, my favorite article of the week from the previous week. And so uh, trying to do that on Thursday nights. Um, this this week I'll definitely do it on Thursday night. The week next week I'm probably going to have to do it on Wednesday night because of some commitments on Thursday night. But I'm looking to make that a regular thing. And so if you like to connect with me on Facebook Live, I'd really like to have you there on the Facebook page, not on the Facebook group, but on the Facebook page. And my purpose for doing this is not necessarily to reread the article that I've already read on the podcast, but I will bounce off of that article and go into some other commentary and just kind of take it wherever it goes. And uh, so sometimes it's you know a short one. Other times, like last week, it was like 40 minutes long. So I really went kind of crazy on that one. 
So I'd love to have you over there on uh, the Facebook page, the Prepper website Facebook page. Our first article comes to us from thesurvivalmom.com. And uh, again, the article is entitled Three Layers of 72-Hour Preparedness. Let's go ahead and start reading. The first 72 hours following any disaster are the most critical, but it's also during those initial hours that emergency services and personnel are stretched to the limit. With a system of carefully planned 72-hour kits, your family can be self-sufficient until help arrives. A 72-hour kit is one of those handy-dandy all-in-one grab bags that theoretically could keep you and your family in good shape during a three-day emergency. How well they do their job depends on how well equipped they are for your family's particular needs. Why three days? Well, that's about how long it usually takes for some other help to arrive or for the crisis to be over. Following a disaster within three days, you should be in an alternative housing or back home. Churches and other nonprofit groups spring into action quickly and within that amount of time can usually offer support, meals, temporary housing, clothing, etc. Think of your 72-hour system as three layers that include kits for each individual, a kit of general items, and a vehicle kit. With these in place, you'll be prepared for those first critical hours whenever and wherever they might occur. Layer 1. Individual 72-hour kits. The first layer of this emergency system is the individual kit. These kits contain clothing, a change of shoes, toiletries, and everything else required by a specific person. The contents can be packed in any type of bag, preferably something you already have on hand or can pick up at a garage sale. Some people prefer medium-sized duffel bags and one gal has hers packed in a plastic bin. A variety of containers is probably a good idea to give you more flexibility on your journey. Think of layers too. When planning the clothing for each individual kit and try to select items that aren't bulky. In a nutshell, here's a list of clothing items that would be suitable for most people and situations. Two short-sleeved cotton knit t-shirts, one long-sleeved light-colored cotton knit shirt, two pairs light-weight pants, one pair shorts useful for swimming and as pajamas, three pairs of underwear, an extra bra or two, three pairs of socks, a waterproof light-weight jacket, shoes comfortable and practical, and other clothing items according to the season and your climate. I suppose you could worry about color-coordinated outfits and accessories if you really want the added stress, but comfort and packability are far more important factors. Also, since there really is a lot involved with this whole preparedness thing, save money by using clothing you already have or can purchase very inexpensively. Secondhand stores are your friend. Save the cutest, newest things to wear right now. By the way, individual kits for children should be a size and weight they can handle on their own. Even a preschooler can wear a backpack for a good long while if it's the right size and isn't too heavy. Heck, you can even pack a kit for your dog with some sort of carrier harness. In a dire situation, no one gets a free ride. Speaking of kids, include a few items to provide comfort and entertainment such as a favorite toy or a lovey of some sort. Other than taking into consideration the size and weight of an item, I would suggest giving your child plenty of leeway when they make their choice of their comfort item. A puzzle book, pad of paper, and colored pencils can help keep older kids occupied, and a small bag of hard candy can provide a much-needed treat in a stressful situation. Audiobooks, along with a portable CD player or iPod, take up very little room for the hours of entertainment they provide. Speaking of comfort items... What activities do you turn to when you're stressed out? 
Is there something you can pack in your own kit that would help you become centered? Knitting usually does the trick for me. When I focus on those tiny stitches, I forget, for a time, everything else around me. Perhaps your comfort item might be a well-loved book, the Bible, or a journal. Remember, we have to take care of ourselves in order to help lead our families in good times and bad. And for your husband, I know mine would vote for a 2-liter bottle of Diet Coke and a large Butterfinger candy bar for his comfort items, but you just pack whatever will keep your husband in his happy place. Each person should have either their own canteen or a couple of small water bottles in their kits. Hopefully, you've equipped your vehicle with larger water containers and have those as part of your family evacuation plan. But the small bottles will ensure that everyone gets a drink as soon as they're thirsty and you, the mom, won't have to be in charge of handing out drinks. On a warm day, that could become a part-time job. The last item for the individual kit is a small toiletry bag. Consider which items are necessary to keep everyone healthy and fresh smelling and pack those. Toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, a hairbrush or comb, and hand sanitizer would provide the basics for most people. Again, consider personal needs such as contact lens solution and case, a spare pair of glasses or an inhaler. The rule of thumb is to pack things most often used by that individual. Got pets? Pack a small bag for them as well. I have a complete I have complete details here. Layer 2, a family kit. When I packed my first 72-hour kit, I put everything in one large Rubbermaid tub and then had second thoughts when I had to dig through multiple shirts, socks, and cans of beef stew just to reach a bottle of shampoo. A separate family kit will contain everything else needed by the family as a whole. Feel free to divide this kit into more than one container. In fact, one gal uses a plastic garbage can as part of her 72-hour system and another friend packs blankets and inflatable pillows in a 5-gallon bucket that can double as an emergency toilet. The family kit will contain the majority of your food. You know what your family will eat and any food allergies, so plan accordingly. If you pack food that must be warmed up, make sure you include a way to do that. There are a number of very tiny portable stoves that weigh just a few ounces and fit easily into emergency kits. This stainless steel version is reliable and only needs tiny bits of fuel from nature, such as twigs, pine cones, and leaves. I figured that a warm meal is far more satisfying and comforting than eating cold ravioli three days in a row. A few food items I've packed are energy bars, cans of fruit, beef jerky, peanut butter cracker sandwiches, cans of beef stew and ravioli, cookies, and packages of freeze-dried meals. This printable list of no-cooked foods will give you other ideas. Just be sure not to overpack and keep the weight of food in mind. There's no need for everyone in the family to have a hatchet, for example, unless you're a family of firefighters. One family I know keeps a tent, sleeping bag, and a camp stove all packed together and ready to go at a moment's notice. They are ready to camp anywhere and, if they ever have to evacuate to a shelter, the tent provides privacy and security for their belongings. You can buy ready-made kits, but I think making your own is a useful process. It forces you to take into consideration your family's unique needs rather than trying to fit your family to a pre-packaged product. Also, by making selections yourself, you'll be intimately familiar with every item and where it's located. Layer number three, vehicle kits. With my luck, the worst disaster to hit my city will happen when I'm 30 miles from home on the hottest day of the year. Some of us busy survival moms practically, practically live in our vehicles. It only makes sense to have a few extra supplies in the trunk of our car just in case. 
Check out my articles on Vehicle 72 Hour Kits for details. I've even included separate instructions for a kit to store in your husband's vehicle. Remember to make a plan for storing a few gallons of water, either by using a 2 liter soda bottle that has been cleaned and refilled with water, collapsible water containers, or something similar. Regardless of the season, if you're stranded somewhere in your car, water will be an issue. Putting all the layers together. One of the final pieces of your preparedness plan is to write out an evacuation plan. You can find worksheets from my book, Survival Mom, How to Prepare Your Family for Everyday Disasters and Worst Case Scenarios here. This step is important because it puts the 72-hour kits in motion, literally. Your personalized plan will designate who loads the kits, who will be in charge of pets, and steps for preparing your home for an extended absence. It's vital to put this plan in writing, post copies around the house, include a copy in your Survival Mom binder, and then rehearse your plan. Only then will you know if everything will fit in your minivan. It's a good feeling to know you're ready for whatever comes. Chances are you may never need these 72-hour kits, but the problem with emergencies is that they never arrive announced, and that is why, and that is what makes preparedness a worthy goal. All right. I think that's a great article, especially if maybe you have as your goal here at the beginning of the year to uh, put in place some uh, 72-hour kits or maybe a vehicle kit. Hopefully those of you up north, I didn't mention it at the very beginning, but uh, the weather is absolutely crazy. I know it is down here. Uh, we're not supposed to get with wind chill, uh, wind chill uh, here in, in Houston, of all places. We're not supposed to get out of freezing. But uh, you guys that are up north, man, please be careful. And hopefully if you, uh, if you are traveling, you have the proper gear in your vehicle just in case you, know, you get stranded or something happens. We talk about that on a regular basis. But hopefully, you know, if you are in the, the maybe you're a new prepper, you're new to preparedness, you've kind of recently found our podcast, uh, and you are like, hey, these are some good ideas. Hopefully you do, or you are putting together a 72-hour kit for yourself, uh, but also for your vehicle as well. And definitely a lot of other things to consider. I, I know this was probably written more with uh, summer in mind. Uh, because you know there was uh, the talk of the clothing was a little bit more summer related, but you really need to pay attention to the to the season. And like right now, if you were putting together a vehicle kit, you would not be putting together or a 72 hour kit. You wouldn't be putting summer clothes in there. You'd be putting winter clothes in there, and uh, you know be paying attention to all of that good stuff. But I think this is a, a great exercise to go go through and not only just an exercise i don't want to make it seem like it's just an exercise and and that's it but it's a it's a good uh thing to have in place and you definitely need to consider this uh for your preparedness especially those of you like i said up north um and and you're considering that Uh, i work about 10 minutes away from uh from home so i don't carry a lot of stuff in my in my vehicle as far as in order to get home or or something along those lines when we talk about those kinds of kits because I can make it home pretty quickly. But when we do go out somewhere, I am taking all that into consideration and I am applying these things to my vehicle as well, Uh, especially first aid kit. I know that wasn't something that was uh, dealt with here, but in your uh, family emergency kit or in your vehicle kit, you really need to have uh, uh, a first aid kit. Uh, that is very important, and you can you, you can always start off by buying one of those uh, emergency kits, 
and then adding to it. You know, that's that's always a great thing to to have. We've talked about that before in the past. There's a lot of links in this article um, that'll take you to other you know information if you're wanting to get more information and and to to make some good decisions as far as building your 72-hour kits and uh, your vehicle kits and your family kits. I would definitely suggest you visit this article and. Uh, and as you're as you're building your kit, and then like always, if you become a part of uh, the Prepper website email list, I will send you out a list of uh, you know there's experts in the preparedness community. Nine of my of my friends sent me their top seven items for various lists, and you'll get that as a PDF, and you'll be able to look at that as well. Maybe get some ideas from that uh, as well. All right, so that's over at thesurvivalmom.com. Our next article comes to us from modernselfreliance.com. And this article is entitled, How to Make Your Own Apple Cider Vinegar from Apple Peels and Cores. Uh, This is one of those that you kind of want to maybe file in the back of your mind in case there ever was a situation where uh, you might need to make your own apple cider vinegar. It's not very hard to do. I know a lot of people just... You know, the the brand that a lot of people focus on is Bragg's out there, and you can buy it fairly cheap. Uh, I know Bragg's, a lot of the time people, if they're using it to, to take, like they're ingesting the apple cider vinegar for whatever, for you know, for health reasons or whatever, you might want to use Bragg's. But then at the end of this article, she talks about cleaning and using apple cider vinegar for cleaning. So this might be you know, a reason why you want to make apple cider vinegar in this way so that you can use it in your cleaning supplies. So again, this is modernselfreliance.com. Let's go ahead and start reading this one, how to make your own apple cider vinegar from apple peels and cores. Do you have leftover apple scraps for making an apple pie or apple sauce? Don't toss them. Use them to make apple cider vinegar. I will just call out the haters right now. Technically, apple cider vinegar is made from apple cider or pressed apples. This is apple scrap vinegar since it is made from apple scraps. However, the end product is very much the same, so I will continue to call it apple cider vinegar because that is the common name people use and know. The ingredients or the tools that you'll need. A quart mason jar, wide mouth, three to four regular mouth lids, cheesecloth, metal wide mouth ring, apple scraps to fill the jar, three fourths of the way, white sugar, one tablespoon per cup of water, and then water. So here are the steps to make the apple cider vinegar. Step one, add the apples. Fill the jar with apple scraps. In general, half filled with apple scraps. Step two, add water and sugar. Fill the jar with water, count the cups, add one tablespoon of sugar for each cup of water added. Step three, add a weight. Place a weight on the top to keep the apples below the water. This will help prevent them from getting moldy and spoiling the apple cider vinegar process. Add your cheesecloth to the top and secure with a rubber band or the metal band used for canning. This allows your jar to breathe as it will produce fermentation gases. The cheesecloth prevents flies or dust from getting in. Set your cider in a dark closet. Step 4. Wait 3-4 to weeks. Wait three to four weeks while the sugar water ferments into hard apple cider. Strain off the apple scraps and return to a dark place. Step five is strain and wait. Wait three to four more weeks for the alcohol to turn into vinegar. When your vinegar smells as strong as you would like it, it is ready to use or place a lid on it to keep longer. Step number six is just enjoy. Enjoy your homemade apple cider vinegar. So common apple cider vinegar questions. Can I make this with other fruits? Yes, you can use other fruits like pears or peaches. 
Can I add a little ACV with the mothers to my apple scraps to help it ferment faster? Of course. Do I need to store it in the fridge? Nope. ACV can sit out, or apple cider vinegar, can sit out just like the kind you buy at the store. What is the white stuff at the top of my apple cider vinegar? This is called the SCOBY and should not be disturbed. It is the yeast and bacteria turning the sugar to alcohol to vinegar. What is the black, red, pink stuff at the top of my ACV? This is bad mold and the ACV can't be saved. Can I use other sugar besides white sugar? Yes, the yeast bacteria need sugar to convert to alcohol. White sugar works the fastest. Brown sugar or honey could be used but may take longer to convert. What do you use ACV for? We use it for cleaning burnt pans, cleaning up spilled lye from soap making. We use it in making broth. We use it with baking soda to clean nearly anything. One could drink it or even wash their hair with it. All right, so very short article there, but I think that is something that a lot of people would like to know how to use. Uh, and you know, if you're not a big apple eater, maybe you, you only eat a few at a time, you can eat, you know, you eat the apples and then maybe you freeze the cores. You have a, a bag where you put the cores in or, you know, the leftover apples and you put that in the freezer. And then when you get enough, you can go ahead and make, um, you know, a jar of it and kind of go with it and see, see what you, uh, see what you come up with, at least using it for cleaning, right? If you were in a situation where you couldn't go to the store anymore and you couldn't get vinegar or apple cider vinegar, uh, and if you had apples, I mean, that's not, uh, something that uh, I readily have available to myself, but some of you in the areas where you live, you do have apples, and this is some or pears or uh, you know peaches. Oh, like she said here in this article, that might be something that you can do and um, have that vinegar as a cleaning agent, uh, you know, in in your in your preparedness plans and being able to do that. So I don't know. I I, uh, I like eating apples, and but I don't eat like a ton of them. I don't make applesauce, and definitely don't make apple pies. But uh, this might be something that I might want to try. You know, if you, I eat an apple a day, usually I take that for my lunch. And uh, with, uh, I don't know, maybe two weeks worth of apple cores, I could try to make some of this. I don't know. So we'll see. I used to make kombucha. And so I'm very familiar with the, uh, the fermentation process and, uh, you know, having the SCOBY and all of that good stuff. So definitely uh, might be something that I want to try as well. Uh, if this is something that you try, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, definitely you can come to the Facebook group and drop a comment there for other people to join in on. Or uh, I'd love for you to leave a comment over on episode 219 of the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. All right, so let's go ahead and move into our last article of the podcast. This comes to us from our friends over at Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. And the title is Examining Economic Collapse. So let's go ahead and read this one. I think this is an interesting article. One of the themes that constantly comes up on prepper forums is the likelihood of economic collapse. This seems to be viewed as almost inevitable by many preppers due to the handling of the U.S. economy by the government or banksters or aliens from Pluto and implies a complete societal breakdown with riots, marauding hordes, and bankers being hung from lampposts. Not recommended if you ever want a loan in the future. <laughs> Furthermore, this collapse will not be the result of some other disaster type. Uh, if, we are, like, if we are hit by an EMP, the economy will suffer, but it is unfair to call that scenario an economic collapse. It is an EMP, pure and simple. We're talking about an economy that just blows up. 
I have to admit that after 9-11, there isn't much that I totally rule out as a possibility. After all, I did not foresee planes flying into office buildings. Nonetheless, I find the economic collapse scenario a bit of a stretch. In fact, I would argue that we have as close to an economic collapse in 2008 as we are likely to see for a generation or more. See The Hidden in Plain Sight by Peter Wallison for an understanding of the 2008 financial collapse. In order to really discuss the scenario, we need to answer a few questions. What counts as an economic collapse? If 2008 was an economic collapse, then obviously such a collapse can happen because we just went through one. If by economic collapse we mean a full societal breakdown with some level of violence, say a scenario like 299 days, then 2008 can be written off as a recession, not a prepper SHTF event. Why would the economy spontaneously combust? With most business cycle events, causes can be seen after the fact, even if they aren't predicted in advance. 2008 was caused by the government requiring the mortgage industry to make every riskier, ever riskier loans to borrowers who could not afford them until the housing finance system failed. Despite this error and the huge losses inflicted, nobody starved. There were no, no riots or violence. We weathered it better than the Great Depression, which also had minimal violence, despite an absence of the safety nets now in place. What economic event would result in the sort of chaos seen by those predicting an economic collapse? What does it take to cause an economic event to devolve into societal chaos? And finally, what should we do to prepare for such an event? Economic Collapse Defined there is no accepted definition for the term economic collapse, but it is clear that in prepper circles the term means more than a mere recession or depression. It implies riots, looting, and extreme civil unrest. On the other hand, in the U.S., we have had rioting due to inner-city reactions to police shootings, socialist groups run amok, etc., without there being an immediate economic problem. Economic collapse and social chaos are not necessarily linked. To distinguish an economic collapse from other scenarios, the economy should be falling due to economic factors only. For instance, Venezuela could be looked to as an example of an economic collapse, but Venezuela also has the problem of a socialist or communist regime that has morphed into dictatorship. Is the economy causing social unrest in Venezuela, or is communist dictatorship driving the economy downward? I would suggest the latter. As a result, to have an economic collapse, we need to have both a severe economic downturn happening without an apparent non-economic trigger, followed by societal chaos. In other words, economic collapse must be casual, not merely the result of some other problem. We have not had such a situation in recent U.S. history. Another example being tossed around recently is Puerto Rico. But the cause of Puerto Rico's major ills is two hurricanes and a grid-down situation. The government was bankrupt well ahead of time with no obvious day-to-day -day effect, but having the grid down has resulted in day-to-day -day economic problems, that is, ATMs not working. If we later get stories of social chaos, it would be fair to say they were caused by the hurricanes and the grid being down, not by economic collapse. Most of the folks worried about economic collapse start with a concern about out-of-control money creation and the dollar becoming worthless via inflation. The Weimar Republic after World War I is an example of this scenario. Could this happen here? Possibly, but 
what really happened in the Weimar Republic. For a better understanding of inflation, see my previous post on that topic. Germany lost World War I, had their infrastructure destroyed, and were ordered to pay massive reparations to the winners of World War I. In other words, World War I destroyed their economy. The economy didn't just spontaneously combust. Want to avoid Germany's experience? Don't lose world wars. Examining many of the worst economic collapses in history will almost always leave one with some non-economic cause for the collapse. Economies don't just fail for no reason. Economic activity is normal human activity. Another economic collapse theory is that all of the dollars that are overseas, such as China's holding of U.S. debt, suddenly come home all at once. The problem with this theory is the actual debt will come due at staggered maturities. China can't simply say, here's your bond, pay up, because each bond has a maturity date. Let's say the maturity date for a specific bond is 2025. That means China can't present that bond for payment in 2025 or can prevent that means China can present that bond for payment in 2025 not before. Furthermore, to pay for the bonds we simply print dollars. So now dollars are overseas instead of bonds. As for the dollars themselves, the only way for those to re-enter the US is for the holder to buy something in the US. If too many foreign holders of U.S. dollars tried to buy U.S. goods at the same time, the result would be a boom, not a bust. Prior to the U.S. dollar being the dominant currency in the world, the British pound was a dominant currency. Remember the British economic collapse due to the sterling losing its status? Neither do I. Another scenario involves the oil market abruptly switching from dollar settlements to some other currency or multiple currencies. The idea is the dollar in circulation suddenly becomes worthless. In fact, those same dollars can be used for other goods or to purchase things in the U.S. or elsewhere. Furthermore, if the event is recognized as a problem, the Federal Reserve can respond by adjusting the, more, the money supply. The next step in the economic collapse scenario assumes that the economic problem will result in massive rioting, looting, etc., the idea is that starving, desperate people will riot in order to feed themselves. We have had instances of rioting in our cities over the past few decades, generally brought about by racial tensions or political tensions, but never outside the inner cities. In the 2008 financial crisis, we did see rioting in Greece. However, even in Greece, a mildly socialistic country with a funny alphabet, this could not be described as a societal collapse. Greece is still there on the Mediterranean, dickering with the EU about how to deal with countries' debt, with the country's debt. In other words, the, the rioting did not lead to collapse. With an economic collapse scenario, people are not suddenly in dire straits as with an EMP. Food still exists. Trucks still run. The lights are still on. Communications still work. The best modern-day example of societal collapse would be Venezuela, where socialism destroyed both the economy and the society. The Venezuelan experience simply is one more example of the problem with socialism or communism, not spontaneous combustion of an economy. In fact, it has taken the Venezuelan government 20 years to really screw things up, so that is hardly spontaneous. If you are concerned about the country, if you are concerned that the country will turn communist, then that is your concern, not economic collapse. If you are still worried about economic collapse, 
preparation is straightforward. Simply manage your finances conservatively and prep as you would for disasters generally. A supply of food is good for any scenario, not just the economic collapse. Conservative finances, such as keeping debt to a minimum, maintaining secure employment, etc., are also key to getting through tough economic times. The economy is largely driven by events and government policies. It is more a result than a cause. An economic collapse, triggering societal collapse, is more likely to be a byproduct of some other event, like an EMP or a switch to a socialist government, than something that occurs spontaneously on its own. The last recession has tended to make people think that economic collapse is easier to achieve than it actually is due to a misunderstanding of the recession's true cause, which was the government control and mishandling of the mortgage market. On the other hand, prepping is all about preparing for low probability events. The fact that an economic and societal collapse is unlikely makes it the kind of event worth prepping for. Fortunately, preparation requires nothing that you wouldn't do in preparing for other long-running SHTF events. If you have prepared for other types of disasters, you are ready. All right, so um, I think a good good article here. And definitely, I do believe, and you always hear the slow economic spiral downwards. Um, you know, we talked about that before in the past on the podcast where you go to the grocery store, and if you are the, the person who goes to the grocery store to buy food, you know that, man, you go and you come out with very little groceries, and you've, you spent 100 bucks, and you're like, what the heck is going on, right? And so you see this slow eroding of your, of the, you know, your finances and what your, fi- what your money used to buy in that. And so, yeah, if, if a lot of people have said if there's a big thing happen the economic the the uh the economy going downhill that's going to be part of it so you have this uh domino effect of things happening if a pandemic i think one of the things that would have been good here in this article would have been talking not just about emp because emp is one of the big uh the big ones right uh that everyone talks about but even something like a pandemic thing right or let's just say that um for whatever reason now, people people purchase and you know the our economy is strong because it's backed by the faith in 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 government or, or the faith in the U.S. government. If for whatever reason that changes, then that's going to cause you know uh, a hiccup in our economy, and that's going to cause some strain there. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about fiat money and, and, you know, talk about, you know, the precious metals and Bitcoin and all those kinds of things. And, and really, it all boils down to is whatever you have faith in, you know, the, the perception of uh, what, what is there to be strong and you can, you can put your faith in. So if, let's just say, fish, you know, uh, you had your faith in, you know, the viability of fish fish then you know fish would be worth something right and definitely it's worth it maybe that might not have been a good one because you know you can eat it or whatever but let's just say toothpicks let's just say at some point somebody said toothpicks were very very valuable and everybody put their faith in that say hey yeah right yeah toothpicks toothpicks are very valuable and so uh, toothpicks are, are uh, you know valued at this amount and so all of a sudden the toothpicks are you know are a, a means of track transacting you know those types of things and so it's all what you put your faith behind 
And so even if the economy or even the government, uh, you know, people started losing faith in the government and in uh, our leaders and, and what, you know, the United States meant and what it's possible to do, then you would see that kind of uh, draw away from our economic power and our economy would start to, to falter and things like that. Let's just say uh, something as simple as, uh, you know, I brought this up in church uh, Sunday, but, you know, you hear people talking about, you know, the 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 you know Wall Street is booming and stock market is booming and you have all that kind of stuff. But my question to you is, has your finances changed because of that? I mean, are you seeing any, you know, is your finances better because the stock market is booming? No. The people that are booming right now, the people that are really, you know, uh, gaining from all of that are the, you know, the, the banksters and the, and the people that are the ultra rich and, and those kinds of things. Uh, you know, they're people that have money in Wall Street and uh, people who run the money market funds and, and, and um, uh, municipal funds and all that, uh, mutual funds and all that kind of stuff. That's, um, you know, those are the people that are really, really uh, benefiting from that kind of stuff. My thing is, you know, you, you look at the economy and where it's at, um, you know, it's just the perception. And where do you have your perception? So let's just say the economy, uh, you know, we keep saying the economy is booming. Let's just say the economy tanks for whatever reason. Um, whatever reason is out there, the economy starts tanking, or not the economy, I'm sorry, the stock market starts tanking. And we have some really big you know, thousand point uh, drops every single day for a week or whatever, something like that. I mean, that's going to cause panic. And that's what this article is kind of talking about, that there is a trigger on the, you know, there's a, something that's causing that trigger on the other side. I do like the idea is, you know, the, the best thing is to make sure that you are uh, making sure that you are not in debt, making sure that you are living on a budget making sure that you are trying to uh, put a little bit of money aside so that you have uh, a cash reserve if you need it or, you know, for, for whatever. Uh, you should have three to six months worth of expenses put, a, put aside in case you lose your job, Maintain, maintaining your job, those kinds of things. I think those are important. Um, and then again, we always stay prepped and aware. We're always paying attention to what's going out there, going on out there. Uh, and, and there's, you know, the world, like I keep, I keep saying it and I know it's like the world's crazy. And uh, I don't know, people might get tired of me saying that, but I wonder what people out there who are not in preparedness uh, people who, who are not really thinking this thing through, if they can pull their eyes away from the TV and pull their eyes away from being entertained from the bread and circuses or the cake and circuses and all that kind of stuff, if they can pull away and just pay attention a little bit, do they really have to look very hard to come up with the idea of the world is crazy and things don't look very good and our world is fragile? And do they come up with that or are they just like, I don't choose, I choose not to pay attention to that. I choose not to look at that. Uh, I choose to go back over here to my, you know, watching American Idol or whatever it is on television and uh, lose myself in that. And I just, you know, there's got to be a lot of people who just choose, like, I don't want to think about that. It, it takes me to a dark place. And I know I've talked with people before and uh, you know, just people that I work with that knew that I was, uh, uh, you know, that I was into preparedness and those kinds of things. And they were like, Todd, I don't want to talk about that because 
I don't, I, I don't sleep at night. I don't want to talk about that because it takes me to a dark place. And I'm like, well, that's kind of like the, that's the idea is you don't go to that dark place, but you prepare so you don't go to that dark place. And so I, I don't know. And boy, that just, uh, this article just kind of took me all the way over there. But, uh, very, very true. I don't believe, uh, when you look at history, there was always another trigger to economies failing. There was something else going on that caused it. Economies just don't just combust, uh, on, on its own and, uh, and, and go downhill. There's something always that is, um, that's leaning into it that's causing that. So uh, a good article there. I think uh, we still need to be prepared for that slow economic downturn. We do look at uh, places like Greece and Argentina and Venezuela and even some cities here in the United States that, you know, people who have been, uh, you know, their their pensions are being cut back. Uh, I know people that even in teachers, uh, in the in the teacher retirement, their uh, insurance, their their pensions are not being uh, pulled back, but their their insurance is going up so high that it's eating up a lot of their pension. So it's kind of like, oh my gosh, you know what? What even people just retired just recently, and it's like I can't afford to retire because uh, you know my insurance is so high. So uh, and that's if you retire before you get you know. Uh, Medicare and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, I think we, you know, just be paying attention out there. And I think it's something go maybe going into 2018. Uh, that might be a goal for you. If you, if you are not on a budget and you are not, uh, you, you are not being purposeful in how you spend your money. I think that might be something that you should look at and not don't make a, a new year's resolution out of it because new year's resolutions never work out, but make that a goal is like, Hey, you know what? I want to, uh, you know, watch my money just a little bit better than I have in the past. And I, I want to be able to have some goals to save a little bit of money here, a little money, uh, a little bit of money there. I think that's always going to be an important aspect to preparedness. Those of us who are preparing. And, uh, so anyway, there you go. Uh, that's over at beans, bullets, bandages in you. Hey guys, thanks so much for being a part of episode 219. It, uh, kind of feel kind of weird getting back to it and just kind of got to get back into the groove of it. But uh, I know that that will happen very, very uh, quickly because I enjoy spending time with you and doing this podcast. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.